welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters. With your questers, Josh and Dan, I am Dan. I am Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things horrifical, penultimate edition, penultimate episode, maybe, I don't know, we'll get some more in there eventually, but uh, we got two episodes left of the major baddies from the horrors book. So if you have any questions for us, please feel free to drop us a line at edsgpodcast at gmail.com, and we will answer those questions in a later podcast. So today we're going to talk about two of the big heavy hitters, Ajvat Many Eyes and The Tempter. Yeah. And they're fun. Yes. Well, all of the horrors in this book have been fun. <laughs> Depends if you're the guy playing the horror. Then, it's, yeah, then yes, it's fun. If you're not the guy playing the horror, the person behind the screen, if you're the players, yeah. Let's see what kind of fun you can possibly have. So Ajvat Many Eyes comes to us from something called the Uridon Document. Am I saying that the way you say that? Yeah, close enough. Or the Uridian? No, because it's... Uridon. There's no I in yeah, there. Yeah, so... I keep wanting to put one. I keep wanting to put one in there. It's not there. And of course, it's Ajvat Many Eyes. I keep wanting to put an I in that word. So, because it needs to be there. Ajvat is one of the more interesting horrors because he exists only on the astral plane. There is no physical manifestation per se. And like all horrors, Ajvat feeds by inducing terror, dread, and despair. But the way Ajvat goes about doing so is a little bit different than most. Initial thoughts? Pretty disturbing. Yeah, this is a real mind screw of a horror. Actually, there are kind of two bits of this. We'll talk about Azvat himself here shortly. Yeah. But one of the things that I like is the hints or expansion of the setting in the regard that the document itself represents. Mm -hmm. There's the little intro from one of the archivists at the Great Library, which reveals some of the history of this document and how it is somewhat controversial in some respects because it is actually written and kind of alternates at semi-random between three different written languages, mm -hmm. while two of them are understood. One is Throlic, the other is a human dialect. Yeah. The third has never been identified or translated. The most popular theory is that those stretches are actually in the language or a language of the horrors themselves. Mm -hmm. And after some of the researchers that were working on the original document uh, were discovered to be involved in some serial murders or something like that, the document was <laughs> suppressed by the king. Yes. And the only reason that it is being included in here was on the understanding that the mysterious language sections were cut out and are not included. So even if you don't actually bring Osvat himself into a game, the idea that there is this document, this mysterious, corrupted, mysterious, I said that twice, didn't I? <laughs> book, um, it plays a little bit into the Lovecraftian ideas yeah. of books containing forbidden knowledge or knowledge that will drive so, people mad. Oh, yeah. Which is also something that Osvat itself does quite extensively. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the Earthdawn version of the Necronomicon. Sort of. I, I, the Uridon document is probably not a full book, no. but it still plays into those themes. Yeah. 
So it's it's nice. I liked it since this is the the opening volley in the horrors book. Since we've not been doing it in in the order of the book, we've been bouncing around. I find this to your point. This is nice to kind of help set more of the scenery and the setting of Earth Dawn around people's ideas of this is how influential the horrors can be. Just reading their language can corrupt you. Yeah, and this is actually the first entry in the book. This is the first essay about one of the horrors in there. I mean, it yeah. does a pretty good job of establishing the tone mm -hmm. and the style that you are going to be encountering throughout the rest of this volume. We're kind of covering it late because of the organization that we decided to go with. Yeah. But after the basic introduction, this is the first one that we encounter, and it's a doozy uh, in its way. It is. Uh, Ashvat is not to be trifled with. So here's kind of the way Ashvat works. He maintains a psychic manifestation once he's marked you through whatever means that is, because he never communicates directly with a victim. And once he's got the horror mark on you, how it feeds by inducing the terror, dread, and despair that all horrors do is it basically overlays onto mundane objects, just eyeballs, seemingly watching you, and usually on something circular. So it could be a mirror a spoon, if you've got a circular spoon, it could be a shield, anything circular. So take a look around as you're listening to this now and look at, look wherever you are and see how many circular things you can actually see. And then imagine if you were corrupted by, if you were marked by Ashvat, exactly how many eyeballs would be staring back at you and what kind of terror and dread and despair that would cause in you. That's how it works. Yeah. The way that it establishes the horror mark in the first place is that it has cursed items like shields or pot lids or things like that, yeah. relatively mundane, circular or oblong items. There are a limited number of them that it can have marked in this way, yeah. but simply by looking at one of these items acts as a conduit for the horror to be able to mark you. Even if Osvat himself itself is not nearby, beholding yeah. that cursed item is what opens that conduit. And then once it has marked you... You just get that all the time. <laughs> yeah, you, you just get that all the time. And, and the paranoia and madness that comes about from the constant feeling of being watched and glimpsing these inhuman yeah. eyes staring at you periodically from these various places, which other people do not notice yeah. or see, is uh, definitely something that over the course of time will drive someone mad, you know, to the point of even buttons or coins or anything that could potentially yeah. house the image of one of these eyes in it. I mean, the camera... The camera I'm looking into could be an eye. The microphone, the pop screen I'm talking through right now could be an eye. Anything circular. It's just, yeah. Right. <laughs> they are everywhere. And uh, I think if there were ever to be an Earth Dawn movie, I think Ashvat would be a perfect horror to use because the special effects budget would be rather minimal. And this would throw in the creepy factor very, very well. Yeah. Actually, the essay itself kind of ends 
on a wonderful classic short story twist where being driven mad by the perpetual appearance of these eyes to the point that even people that he is passing in the street, their eyes (laughs) reflect the eyes of the horror occasionally. He goes and blinds himself. He takes out his own eyes in order to try and prevent that. And it ends with the, for though I had destroyed both my eyes, I could still see. (laughs) Reminds me of an old sci-fi movie called X, The Man with X-Ray Eyes. The premise of which, if I'm recalling correctly, involves a guy who was involved in some kind of accident while doing an experiment and can see through things. As the story Hmm. progresses, he, like, is able to see more and more, like, starting to, like, see beyond the veil of reality. And it does end with him taking out his own eyes. Yeah. According to what I recall from reading about this, the original script had him proclaiming at the end that he could still see, although that was not a line that made it Ah. into the final edit of the movie. Cut. Yeah. That's a very similar idea there (laughs) plays into the idea of once you have glimpsed the madness inducing secrets of the universe uh that there is nothing that you can do to unsee them that forbidden knowledge once Mm -hmm. gained is forever yours no i like the i like the whole essay every part of it because like i said it's kind of a short story and there's a secondary short story and it has that twist ending and it lays out the horror very well because we, as, as we've said, there's some very overt horrors and some very subtle horrors. And this is kind of both again, it blurs that line. You can work them in subtly, but once it's there, it's pretty overt. And to your, to what you said earlier, I'll follow up on Ashvat only maintains about 13 cursed objects throughout all of bar save. And so for those of you who our Triskaidekaphobics out there, 13 is supposed to be an unlucky number. Take that for what it's worth. But his psychic manifestations are usually in areas that are adjacent to highly polluted areas of astral space. So primarily the Badlands, perhaps par length, perhaps some ravaged cares that are still tainted with astral pollution in there somewhere. And so that's where you kind of want to watch out if you know. But if you don't know, you don't know. And it's not like the items that he has imprinted in this way need to be significant or notable in any respect. They can be a a relatively mundane object. Uh, And it is simply by beholding them. When somebody turns their gaze upon one of these, Osvat will use its corrupt reality power, which is one of its sort of core abilities to make its eye appear in that surface. And it is at that moment that they, that it has the opportunity to mark the individual. If the individual does not avert their gaze right away, it's even more likely it gets a bonus to the horror mark Mm -hmm. test. Because the horror mark is exceedingly difficult to break. Right. As long as the, object that you beheld is still in existence and imprinted with Osvat's yeah. essence is still cursed mm-hmm. by it. 
you can't get rid of the mark in the sense that Osvat doesn't need to be near you in order to refresh the mark when it expires after the sort of traditional year in a day. You can't run however far you might go. It is always able to continue to have this effect on you, Um, which is, again, another aspect of this horror that is a little bit madness inducing Mm -hmm. because some horrors, many horrors, if you can get outside of their range and get away from them, then there is a possibility that you might be able to escape eventually. Not so with Osvat. (laughs) If you manage to figure out which item it was that was the initial conduit and you destroy it, then the mark just turns into a standard horror mark, which Osvat is then able to renew if it is within several miles of you. I think it's what, 10 miles is what it says in the book. Because even after the corrupt reality power, and then after the horror mark, it has this karma drain power. Yes, one of the fortunate (laughs) things about Osvat is that marking one of the items, imprinting one of the items to act as a conduit, costs it 12 karma points. And the only way that it regains karma is by draining them from a marked victim. It doesn't regain them on its own. Unfortunately... It doesn't really have a limit (laughs) on how many karma it can have as a result. Yeah. In order to sort of maintain its supply of karma so that it can imprint new items when other ones are destroyed, it does kind of maintain a stable of marked individuals and needs to balance its desire to feast on their madness and despair and death and keep them alive long enough to top off its karma or to keep it fed in that regard and then of course on top of all of that it's also got spells equivalent to a ninth circle netherancer yeah so not to be messed with a whole which is why the legend point uh amount is probably so high but the if so the only way you can probably break the horror mark is to actually traverse into astral space yourself and when you go to astral space if you can go to astral space uh and find ashvat He is basically, his astral presence is a wet blob of blinking eyes that are roiling and bubbling. Because that's not disgusting enough as it is. That already gives me, like, shivers and spine tingles. I'm not good there. And then you need to fight it in astral space. Which is its home territory. And it has no limbs. Right. But uses spells exclusively and very well, we might add. I mean, yes. Step 30 spell casting. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> Step 30 spell casting in the first edition book, yeah. The advantages are that it has a kind of low initiative. Its physical stats are not great. It's only got a physical defense yeah. of nine, which means that it is easy to, if you can get into astral space to fight it, <laughs> you can physically deal with it. But of course, you will be doing so. It is fairly safe to assume that the astral space that it is in when you are fighting it will be corrupt massively corrupted with all of the attendant problems and difficulties that go along with that yes and it's got a a pretty decent armor rating pretty decent death rating and with circle nine nethermancer spells it can certainly wreck your day (laughs) and of course because it doesn't really have a limit 
on the range that it can use its powers against its marked victims. Yeah. Tracking it down and locating where it is is probably a pretty significant quest all on its own. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah Osvat is uh, kind of surreal and madness-inducing, and I'm thinking of, if you haven't seen it, first off, just in general, highly recommended, the John Carpenter movie In the Mouth of ah, Madness okay. with Sam Neill. It plays into the ideas of one's sense of reality breaking down and one's sort of exposure to surreal madness and whatnot is really turned up to 11. There's kind of more going along with that, but some of the themes and the imagery and the stuff that happens with that in terms of the blurring between reality and one's experiences and one's perception of it. So the basic premise is Sam Neill plays this mm -hmm. investigator who is investigating the disappearance of this popular horror novelist. <laughs> Makes Stephen King look like whatever. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And goes to investigate and things are like a little bit weird and whatnot. And then comes to discover that the most recent book that this writer has been working on, which is what he's been sent to mm -hmm. find, because the, the publisher has hired him to go and find the writer and find yeah. the book, is breaking down the reality. By reading the book, you are shifting into the world that the book is describing and all of the weird, bizarre Lovecraftian stuff mm -hmm. that's going on. But there's a moment where Sam Neill's character is trying to leave or something like that. And he's riding on a bus and he falls asleep and he dreams that he's talking to the writer. Like the writer is sitting there on the bus next to him, kind of talking about some of the weird philosophical reality bending stuff that mm -hmm. plays in it. And then he kind of wraps up with, oh, by the way, did I ever tell you that my favorite color is blue? And Sam Neill's character wakes up on the bus and everything like they put a blue filter over everything <laughs> and so everything is blue and he like wakes up and it's like that and he just like starts looking around and basically starts yes. freaking out like it's that kind of sensation where just the reality what you understand to be real is no longer the yeah. case and it's got one of the most interesting endings i think as well it's a, it's a phenomenal movie i highly recommend it Probably one of my favorite John Carpenter films, and probably not as well known, I think, as it deserves to be, because it's in some ways a lot more like mental and cerebral than like the visceral nastiness of the thing <laughs> or the the slasher pioneering of Halloween. Yeah. Really, really highly recommended if Fair. you can track it. I down. have a quick uh, sidebar about John Carpenter's The Thing. My game master was saying, yeah, we're going to try playing Pulp Cthulhu versus Call of Cthulhu because our party kind of acts like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China versus John uh, versus Kurt Russell in The Thing. So we're more Big the Trouble thing. in Little China yeah. party than The Thing party. So anyway, had to share the story. It was funny. We got that one there. Uh, any further thoughts about Ajvat Many Eyes? Because I think, as I said, if there were an Earth on movie, this would be the horror I would use. Yeah, you could certainly make an interesting movie with him there are a number of ways that he could come into play in an adventure or campaign whether by having a higher circle group get exposed to one of its cursed items 
in which case they will need to be sort of directly dealing with the consequences of that and kind of needing to survive that experience and possibly track down and slay the horror. And of course, there's always the less direct affecting of the player characters where people that they know, where they come into an area where somebody afflicted by Osvat is causing problems or whatever. Osvat actually, in some regards, is a pretty decent horror to afflict player characters Mm -hmm. with. Because it doesn't have quite the extent of helplessness that some horrors would have when you have them mark or go after a player character. You know, if you have someone like Taint, for example, where the powers and what it does to a character can make them feel helpless or deprotagonize them to a certain extent because they can't trust Mm -hmm. their abilities, that isn't the case with Osvat. It's just a really bizarre, surreal kind of mind screw of a horror that they need to investigate and track down and slay. And so while it is difficult and there is a certain amount of fear and uncertainty and difficulty that goes along with having that, I don't think that you necessarily need to be quite as careful with it compared to some other horrors when you're going to inflict it upon a player character group. There's less ominous dread with Ajvat. Well, (laughs) there's plenty of ominous dread with Ajvat. It's just not ominous dread that is also going to feel like the game master is messing with you. I'm not not intentionally crippling that person, that that character. It's not crippling your powers. It's a mental sort of situation. It reminds me a little bit of the Dreamstalker horror that I had in my first long-term yeah. game, where it was a horror that would like just show up and mess with the player characters, but not in any way that would directly hinder them or weaken them or anything yeah. like that. It just liked the sense of, I can show up and mess with you mm-hmm. whenever I want to. And the low-grade paranoia and uneasiness that would go along with that for a little while. Yeah. Also reminding me a little bit of, with some aspects of like Chantrell's horror, in the sense that when it hadn't been heard from in a while, you start to relax and then it (laughs) shows up and reminds you that it's still around. It never left. That kind of situation. So yeah, Osvat is really cool if you want to do a surreal, reality-bending, target-the-player characters without hindering or making their powers suffer or anything like that. So it's more relying on the player who's got that character to R-O-L-E play this versus I'm going to give you a whole bunch of modifiers to your game stats and whatnot kind of mechanic yeah. hindering. It's more just the sense that the game master can evoke that sense of uneasiness and fear and surreal dread by just messing with the sensory inputs that they are providing to the player by describing the area. Yeah, there's not any mechanical penalties necessarily that come into play 
by the horror doing its thing. It's just simply the fact that I am yeah. describing the world being really strange and how yes. do you cope with that? And that can be long lasting. You can start this off in the first couple of early circles just to get the idea in there and have that player character at that kind of un level of unease and then build upon that. And finally, when they're high enough circle, right. they can figure out a way to go confront Ashvat in its home territory in corrupted astral space, you know, cause you're at a disadvantage maybe to go take care of that and maybe, you know, resolve that problem. I think Ashvat is a beautifully done horror, like all the rest of them, and certainly needs to be used slightly more often by everybody, including myself. Yeah. I actually want to check something real we got quick. Time. Hold on. I was just checking whether the corrupt reality power mm. showed up in the first edition mm. Earthdawn book. In fourth edition, the default corrupt reality power actually does impose some gotcha. penalties. But they're okay. short term. The corrupt reality test, the target suffers a minus one penalty to mystic and social defense for hmm. each success. The penalties fade. It's relatively short term. The penalties fade at the rate of one per day. That's still enough. So it does eventually go away. But that is something that if you're going to you kind of take that aspect of things into it, you could have that be something that shows up at inopportune times to freak out yeah. the character and impose penalties so that something that normally would not affect them would, uh, and that sort of thing. Although that is not something that is written into the original rules of Osvat's corrupt reality power. Um, that is something that's fourth in edition. the fourth edition book, possibly because there are horrors in there that have that power in a different yeah. capacity. There's a little bit of game mechanic reinforcement then, but it's not, crippling game mechanic reinforcement. It's just a hindrance. It's an optional power uh, listed for three of the horrors that are in yeah. the GM's guide. The bloat form, the despair thought, and the Garmec all have the option of having the corrupt reality power. All right. That is something that is in there as well, but Osvat has a unique and especially dangerous version of that. Yeah, and I think his is probably maybe a higher step, but that's just me. Well, it depends, yeah. Yeah, but either way, Ashvat's pretty cool to use if you're on this side of the Game Master screen. On to the Tempter. Yeah. Bookending this episode, this is another one where the entry, the document, provides as much story as the yes. horror itself. This is a letter from a researcher who was researching horrors and basically ended up marked by one and is told by the horror that if he writes a letter to Marox confessing to all of this and yeah. describing what's going on, then it will let him go. And if you believe that, <laughs> I got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah, brought to us by uh, uh, an, an author named Elberg the Younger. And... I find that The Tempter is probably the second smallest horror you can possibly come across. I mean, the Dread Iota is the smallest, so I think The Tempter qualifies as like second smallest. Right. <laughs> Certainly down in that very small yes. range of things. Because The Tempter's actual physical appearance is as a small burr, a thorny seed 
the thing that the guy who invented Velcro got the idea from. Yeah. Those little sticky burrs stick to your clothes or stick to the fur of an animal in order to especially be your socks. Yeah, especially. your socks or whatever. If you're walking through, yeah, walking through the brambles, these things pop onto your socks and they stay there, which is where the guy got the idea to create Velcro from. Anyway, so basically it's this thorny seed roughly the size of a, you know, a shelled, a, a, a shelled almond and harming it physically is nigh impossible and it can't run. It has no physical locomotion on the ground, but that burr can fly. Yes. When it wants to. So it's, it can be aerial if it wants to get there. So just so you know, that kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, Oh, that sucker's airborne. That's not a good thing. So there's that. And of course, the tempter specializes in corruption of righteous name givers. It really wants to corrupt questers, light bearers, even though there's no fourth edition equivalent of light bearers, liberators, and other people who are very honor bound or have um, strong codes of a behavior. Just cause. Yeah. The way that tempter works is it finds an individual like this and latches on and marks them. Once it's marked mm-hmm. them, it has the ability to communicate with them and offers suggestions. To begin with, those suggestions or ideas don't go against the victim's code at all. Yeah. Doesn't start off with like, oh, kill that person. Yeah. Not that overt. Yeah. It starts small, it starts with little things, but what it does is that it offers assistance in the form of Karma Boost, which Mm -hmm. is a power that it has, and will often, early on, offer that aid in order to further the noble goals and ideals of the victim. That child threatens to be crushed by that falling building while well, I will give you the power and the strength to save them. Because I can, I can see being the Game Master explaining for the first time exactly what kind of boost this is going to be. Oh, go ahead and roll your ability. And add 15 steps to that ability to get yeah. it done. If the victim refuses, the horror doesn't get abusive or, or nasty or anything that like that. It kind of starts off like, okay, mm-hmm. sorry. Whatever. Next time. <laughs> it's here if you need it. Yeah. Because it is exceedingly patient. I was going to say that in exactly that way. Yes. It will absolutely take its time, needle its way in, burrow in like the proverbial tick that it is, and just wait. And it will feed on your fear, your pain, your doubt. As usual, most horrors do all this stuff. But the... It feeds extra on the player character's despair of their betrayal of their Eventually, self. yes. So whatever I yeah, whatever ideal you held, whatever uh, hill you would die on and therefore now won't die on, it absolutely gorges itself on those feelings that you have, that you have betrayed your deepest held beliefs and practices. And it will absolutely, to Josh's point, steer you, steer the victim to betray absolutely all that they stand for, all that they hold dear, everybody they know. It doesn't really matter. Uh, We've talked in the past about some other horrors that really feed on this uh, betrayal. 
emotion that you you get to go, oh, I, I've done this bad thing or I never said I would do this. And the horse feed on this. The tempter does it to a, I think, the largest degree. Yeah. Because after you have that betrayal and after you have been steered to betray everything and everybody, it then turns you into a horror construct. Eventually, yes. Yeah, it's a long thing coming. Because again, it's exceedingly patient, but it will get there and you will end up that way. Unless you can, you know, break the horror mark as usual. Good luck with that. Tempter itself is not particularly physically imposing. It is very difficult to fight as it is very small and very fast and has a very high yeah. physical defense. It doesn't have any physical attacks that it can make. It, 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 does, it is capable of casting spells, but only at a sort of equivalent circle six illusionist, which it mainly uses yeah. to conceal itself or to hide away or not be noticed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. problem arrives from the fact that it will leave a trail of horror constructs in its wake and where these constructs frequently are made from individuals who probably had some amount of power and devotion and significance, those constructs are apt to be pretty impressive and pretty difficult to take down. It's another one that could potentially be interesting to inflict on a player character. The drawback to it, of course, being that long-term it will eventually, unless it's defeated, corrupt and consume and destroy the character. Yeah. That is something that you absolutely would want to be careful about. You know, you don't want to just randomly inflict it on someone. You want to make it be something that they are willing to play along with in terms of the story potential that goes there. The situation with its boost, the way that it's written in first edition, is that Every time that the victim accepts the karma boost, Mm -hmm. the horror makes a test. And the step number of the test is the number of times that the victim has accepted the help. And that's against the target's (laughs) mystic defense, spell defense in first edition. Three successful tests are all that are needed. They are lost. They are now a horror construct. It's something that gradually happens, each test being a little bit more involved. Those early tests are not particularly likely to Mm -hmm. affect, but the more it happens, the more likely it is that they are going to be affected. This is something that we changed in fourth edition to have that each time the victim accepts the help or is affected by this, they gain a corruption point, kind of bringing that corruption mechanic in. So that's something that you can tailor a little bit more to the degree or ease of the game that you want that effect to happen, gaining a little bit more of a buffer. Of course, the difference being that in, in the default karma boost power for fourth edition, there's no test that needs to be rolled. You just gain a corruption point each time you accept the help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of streamlining the process there. You know, what you could do perhaps is combine the mechanics and have mm-hmm. 
the horror making the test and each successful test provides a corruption point, which will overall slow down the process. The idea being that the corruption threshold being somewhere, you know, 10 to 15, depending on how nasty you want the effects of corruption to be. This is this is the horror that really needs to be in a novel. Yeah, this is one that in some respects would be very similar to the way that the despair thought operates in The Longing Ring. That it is there yes. as a presence, as a voice in your head, but not really able to do a whole lot itself. That it is allowing you to measure out your own length of rope in a sense. <laughs> yes. Because it is so difficult to find, then it can be very difficult to get rid of it. If you are able to locate it and drive it off, then you can escape its effects. Clutches, yeah. I would play it where its horror mark and its ability to affect its victim requires it to be in fairly close proximity and have that mm-hmm. sort of be the weakness that you could use to perhaps escape it um, if you can locate it and drive it off. But yeah, it's definitely something that could make for an interesting role-playing opportunity with a player that is interested in willing to go along with the story and role-playing potential that would come about as a result of using Tempter. Likewise, it is just as easy to have your group be following the trail of suffering and destruction that it leaves in its wake as a result of the constructs that it creates. Uh, This would give you the opportunity, especially in a higher powered game, to have reasons for some of those more powerful constructs that we talked about in the earlier episodes of this series. Oh, yeah. Shift and twist adepts or powerful questors or, you know, anybody along those lines. Yeah, because it doesn't say what constructs it turns you into. So I think that's kind of at the game master's discretion a little bit, which yeah. I like. That's kind of against a twist, but that's a neat little uh, wrinkle to throw in there is, okay, so you're, you're starting to do this. And then you tell the character, by the way, you're going to turn into X, Y, or Z. And that might, you know, spur them on to solve this problem a little bit faster than they normally would. But that's just me. So I love the fact that Ajvac could should be in a movie because the special effects would be cool. But Tempter, really, I mean, if they were in a movie, the special effects would be a whole bunch of burrs and a voiceover. Well, yeah. So there really wouldn't be cool. much in the way of effects. It would all just be <laughs> voiceover sort of narration. Yeah. So I think Tempter works better in a novel because you can describe the finding of the burr and th- so forth and so on a whole lot better. Uh, I mean, visually speaking, it's fine in a movie, but I think Tempter would work exceedingly well in a novel or even a series of books that Tempter finally gets more and more powerful as you go and the corruption begins to get more and more deeper as you go as well and the character begins to change a lot over the course of the, the novel. So I think Tempter is great for that respect. But these two are nicely paired in this episode, I believe. I don't have anything more to say on either of these. By mere coincidence. We didn't we didn't plan this. Didn't plan these two together. They just ended up that it's way. It's been nice so, anyway. to see how, like with all of the pairings, finding some kind of either contrast or similarity between them, some kind of thematic hook that we can talk about. Yeah. And that's 
sort of the case with these, where both of these are introduced through documents. I mean, all of the entries in this book have, you know, a certain amount of unease or or horror factor to them. But these two are a lot more personal in some regards. Agreed. Both of them are not physically imposing horrors. They are a lot more mental and subtle and magical in their yes. approaches compared to something like Ubir or Druistat or mm-hmm. some of those others where you are really looking at going up against a physical beast. Yeah, these are more mentally anguishing. Yeah, these are the more subtle and insidious horrors that can be very difficult and frustrating for a group that uh, prefers to go in swords singing to defeat the enemy. Yes. Agreed. So if you have any questions for us about either one of these two, if you've used them, we'd love to hear how you use them or uh, how they were defeated in your games. We'd love to hear all those. We love the stories. So please feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm going to posit something else. We all know the last horror we got to talk about. Yes. And that's, that's a couple of episodes away from now. So let me ask, let me offer this up here. We all know it's Vergigorm. Give us your stories about if you've used Vergigorm, if Vergigorm won the battle, or how Vergigorm was defeated, if you had a party go up against him. I want to know these things. Yeah. And we'll repeat this because we're actually going to be recording that episode the day that this episode drops, so people will not have had time to get those to us beforehand, but we'll mention it now. Send those stories in so that we can share them. Absolutely. We will do so. Anyway, until next time, folks. Yeah, beware circular things and beware the little voice in your head telling you to do things that you really shouldn't be doing. (laughs) For your legend. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 